This episode of Access Utah is made possible with support from the Utah Women's Giving Circle, a grassroots community with everyday philanthropists raising the questions and raising the funds to empower Utah women and girls. Information available at utahwomensgivingcircle.com. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today is part of our series, Stopping Sexual Harassment. We're going to be talking with Susan Madsen and Robin Scribner of the Utah Women and Leadership Project at Utah Valley University. We'll talk about sexual harassment and sexual har- uh, assault in Utah. I'll also talk about voting, leadership, body image, and other uh, topics. Um, Susan Madsen is founder and director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project and Orrin R. Woodbury, professor of leadership and ethics at the Woodbury School of Business, Uni- Utah Valley University. Uh, Susan Madsen, welcome back to the program. It's great to be here again. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Robin Scribner is Assistant Director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project uh, there at Utah Valley University. Robin Scribner, welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, we had both of you on, uh, oh, maybe it's been about a year, so we can do this more often. Uh, there's a lot going on at the uh, the uh, Utah Women and Leadership Project. That's where I want to start. So Susan Madsen, your founder, what remind us, what is the Utah Women and Leadership Project? So I started the kind of the seeds of the project about 10 years ago in the state, really initially at the request of the Commissioner of Higher Education to do research and social change around why women weren't graduating from college in this, at the same rates nationally. And so that's how it started. But our mission has really evolved, and it really is to strengthen the impact of Utah girls and women so that they are more educated so that they have a voice and confidence. And, and so we do so many things, and research is really our core. We do research and lots of resources and run events and partner with so many others uh, around the state women's groups on events, too. So, so we love our research, though. We have lots of it out there, and uh, we believe it's making a difference. Uh, Robin Scribner, uh, remind me a little bit of your background, how you got connected with the uh, Utah Women Leadership Project. Well, I've always been interested in studying the lives of women. That's sort of been my passion since I was a kid. And uh, when I first learned more about what Susan was doing, I actually came and heard her give a speech about the education research that she had done. And I sat there in the audience that day and I said, one day I want to go work for this woman. I was so excited about the efforts that she was making and the way she was pushing for social change within the state. So I've been with the project for four years now. We've done a ton of research on a lot of different topics, and it's been a really exciting journey. Uh, we just recently had uh, fourth annual women's marches. I, I, I'm curious to get your 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 take on this, Susan Madsen. That uh, you know a lot of women's issues uh, highlighted, spotlighted. Um, of course, it's bound up in politics as well. But um, I, I wonder what your what your take on this this whole movement. I is. actually, I, I was uh, I wasn't able to be involved in the marches because I was at the Real Women Run uh, conference that was the entire day on Saturday, which is all tied into some important things. I know the Provo March really emphasized um, people learning more about sexual assault. The conference I was at was really training for women that are thinking of running for public office or just wanting to support others that run for public office or get involved in the community, all of which are important. And even just folks, and the week before, I did a short presentation for the new chapter of the League of Women Voters in Utah County. And just just at that level, getting more women to engage in voting, we think leads to 
people being more engaged in issues, then finding their voices, then wanting to become delegates and, you know, all the way up to running for public office. And so that's really important on that public front. But we do work as well on helping women uh, become managers and leaders and CEOs of companies as well. So lots of different areas, boards and commissions, all kinds of things. But in terms of the march, I'm glad that we are doing things in Utah, more things, to really help some of these critical and important issues rise up to, to the top, get more media so that people can be more aware. The research is clear that we can't change unless we know what's going on, unless we understand the issues. Uh, to follow up to that, uh, so it, it, something like Women's March raises awareness, uh, but then the, the other things you're involved in, I, I'm guessing you would say, would, you know, uh, people, women need to get involved further. Absolutely. I think, and Robin will have more com- comments on this, but yeah, just taking a stand, you know, one day, and if you don't continue to, to work on these issues, um, it helps raise awareness and so forth. But what we found in terms of the culture in Utah, some of the gender struggles and challenges, and I have to say opportunities, all of that needs more constant work. And there's so many ways for women to get engaged from just voting um, to really going to events and bringing young women, girls and young women, so that, that we can all kind of understand more about ourselves and decide what issues and passions we have so we can get more involved in various ways. There's so many ways to get involved to help you know, ourselves become more educated, but also to help girls and women and families, I should say, and even men around the state. Uh, Robin Scribner, what do you think? Yeah, I wanted to add to that. When you when you mentioned what are the things that girls and women can do, one of the most exciting things about these public demonstrations and the marches is the way that it raises awareness not just to girls and women, who in many cases are already aware of so many of these issues, but also to boys and men. Last year, my family all went to a women's march down here in Provo together, and I had my teenage boys there, my little 10-year-old daughter who was featured prominently up on the shoulders of one of the pictures that they had that was sort of a symbol of the march. But my kids came home, and especially my son and my husband, talked about how much they had learned and how their eyes were kind of open to some of these things. A woman read a poem about her experience with sexual assault, and I think it is so powerful for our men and boys here in the community, so many of whom, you know, the vast majority of whom, are wonderful, good people, want to do the right things, you know, don't have any interest in committing sexual assault or sexual harassment or any of those things. But at the same time, they are just so unaware in many circumstances of the day-to-day realities that many women face. And so I think one of the huge benefits of these public demonstrations and other events and types of um, ways that we are working to raise awareness is to help men and boys understand better some of the circumstances that women and girls face every single day. Can I I just say real quick that that comment is just so important. And I've spoken in the past year at so many events with men, and sometimes I have an opportunity to just plug in some of the statistics from our our reports, for instance, sexual assault in Utah. Most, Most people do not, I mean, some do, but most people, especially men, um, do not understand the real problem we have with some of these issues in Utah. They, they assume that we're probably middle of the road, but we're actually quite high in terms of sexual assault and domestic violence in the state of Utah. So what's interesting when I present 
you see these looks on their faces like, no, that couldn't be the case. And then I give some more statistics and they're like, that's just wrong. <laughs> you know, they, it's, it's really interesting to see these great men that we have in Utah really stepping forward to, to think about these issues and want, want to do something about it. Let's well, segue into uh, uh, sexual harassment, which is one of the main topics for today. Um, and um, you know, speaking personally, you know, we've done s- several programs now on, on sexual harassment on this program, and it's been a it's been a real education for me, as you say, as a man. I I don't <laughs> uh, I don't experience a lot of you know a lot of these things, and and as I'm become more aware, um, I. I become more empathetic. I think, man, I'm, I don't have to deal with a lot of those things. You know, and even for me, I was raised with six brothers, and I was an athlete growing up, and so I was in more of this masculine environment. And, you know, I mean, I, I probably paid little attention to some things that I that were around me, but the more that I've studied, the more I really see how pervasive this is and how even, even comments that in 10, 20 years ago, that people would have just brushed off as no big deal. No, when you really think about them, they are disrespectful in every way. And you never know. I, in fact, even just this past year, I had a male student in one of my classes say, just when are women just going to get over this Me Too? It's been a couple years now <laughs> since he said that. I'll be glad when the drama is over. And I just, of course, my class got a little bit of a talking to that day. Because I said, you don't know how these comments or these actions can affect. It might not be a big deal to some people. These days, I think it's a big deal to everybody. But other people, how do you know? You know, one in six women in the Utah are are raped. So how do you know if you're saying a comment in front of someone that has been absolutely traumatized, even if it's a small, small thing, and that, that... you know, as you know, sexual harassment, uh, the discussions have really been workplace. So we know that women leave workplaces because of these issues all the time. It's, it's just more, it's more important conversations than, than ever before. Um, I'm looking at a research snapshot from the uh, Utah Women in Leadership Project on sexual harassment. Several things jumped out at me. One of the, the these uh, surprised me. Uh, the definition matters, right? So it, it, you, you polled women. Uh, have you ever experienced sexual harassment? A lower percentage than a much higher percentage of when you uh, when you give a definition. Yeah, Robin, yes, Robin actually that, yeah. spent some good time looking at those definitions. Well, I think that was a fascinating uh, finding that we found from that research specifically, that so many women think, oh, no, I haven't really experienced this. But when they were given examples or a very concrete definition of what constituted sexual harassment, they, you know, suddenly realized, oh, yeah, I've absolutely experienced that. That has been something that's happened to me. People have made those sorts of comments or showed me pictures or made jokes or things like that. And so that's why another reason why raising uh, awareness and having these types of conversations like we're having today is so important not just because it educates women and helps them understand, oh, I have a right to be in a workplace where I'm free from this type of behavior, but it also educates men and and others. We understand that women can also uh, be the perpetrators of sexual harassment, and men can also be experiencing it, although it's much more common in the other direction. But as we get more education and understand really what's going on, 
these incidences hopefully will start to decrease. We were looking at a CBS poll that came out um, a couple of weeks ago, and it was really fascinating. A high percentage of those people who'd taken the poll said that because of the Me Too movement, because of the Time's Up movement and these conversations, they had thought about their own behaviors in the workplace, and they'd made some adjustments to their own behaviors. Maybe they recognized, ah, that that sort of joke that I often tell that I usually get such a great laugh out of, maybe this is not the right joke to tell at work. Uh, so some of the other things, you know, in in definition could be displaying calendars, cartoons, pictures or posters, expressing graphic commentaries about a body, sexual gestures, verbal or sexual advances or propositions. Uh, is, there a, is there a core definition? If, so, if, if someone is made to feel uncomfortable, is that the threshold? What is the threshold? Yeah, uh, can I, you know, I, oh, go ahead, Robin. Well, I was going to say, the, uh, the federal government, in terms of the laws, has a couple different um, definitions that are pretty important if you want to bring a suit, a lawsuit about it. And the first one is that sexual harassment is where there's a quid pro quo. So if you do this for me, you will get a promotion. Or if you don't do this for me, you will get fired. But also, it's any behavior that creates a hostile work environment. And that's the tricky place that comes in in terms of legal definitions, because that can be subjective. But um, what what is generally understood in terms of that hostile work environment is that the behavior must be both pervasive, which means it happens over a long period of time, and kind of extreme. So it has to be significant enough that it's really causing a problem. And so those definitions get tricky, but that's really the core definition of sexual harassment, either the quid pro quo or that it's creating a hostile work environment for the person who's experiencing it. Mm. And a hostile work environment is interesting. I had a woman recently tell me that that her um, supervisor, so this is what happened. She, she shared this experience, and it just made her just sick. So she was in, uh, with two males, and one male walked up and said, I'm going to tell an inappropriate joke, but I want to. And the other male said, if, it's, if you feel it's inappropriate, you shouldn't be telling it. And then he proceeded to tell a joke that talked about women's breasts. Um, the woman that told me this experience just felt sick, just felt sick by the time. And, you know, she could continue working, but she felt sick sick and she was she did file a complaint because not just for her but she felt like it made her sick again you know that she didn't want to be around this person which affects her employment but also her looking out for other people that would even be more sensitive to hostile environments like that so it's very tricky the definition but back to what you said Tom if you're constantly, maybe it's a one-time thing, that could still be dramatic for someone that's, that's had a situation. But if it's, you know, especially multiple times and this environment where you just don't feel being there, you're not going to be loyal. You're not going to stay at your company, you know. Um, so even though the EEO, EEC, EEOC has come out with definitions, there's still some some, uh, what do we call it, uh, gray? <laughs> a little bit of gray? Right. Um, it's a lot interesting. Of gray, I would say. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Going, going back to your story, this is interesting, and you you have this in the snapshot. Um, what's the role of you know the third parties? What's the role of the bystander? What's the and especially you know a lot of times it's 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 the other man, right? Yeah, the bystander. The training on this and in some other areas, uh, and I know Robin's read some things about that, but the powerfulness of the bystander is critical. And so some of the efforts, especially in the sexual harassment, sexual assault, other areas, are actually talking about how to train people on reactions, and especially the bystanders, on what they can do, you know, practice, even role plays, what they can do so they have confidence to actually stand up and say something. Sometimes it's hard when you see something that you're shocked you know, with or or some, you don't know what to say. And after you leave, you know how this is. After you leave, you say, "Oh, I should have said this and this." So more and more, the research is saying, "Let's let's go ahead and train bystanders because they can be powerful." And especially in those situations, male allies can be particularly powerful um, in taking a stand against that kind of behavior. Yeah, in your in your story, the I mean the 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 one fellow did the right thing, right? Maybe you shouldn't say it. <laughs> the guy went ahead and said yeah. it anyway. That's yeah. a, that's something you know. I could put myself in the situation. I'd, I that would be unexpected. I would expect him not to say it. Yeah, uh, it's amazing how many stories I hear. Um, you know, and I know it's every place, but we, Robin and I, really focus on research on Utah, and um, you know, it's here and it's pervasive. Sometimes I think we're making progress, and we are in certain areas. And I was thinking in terms, I was speaking the other day in terms of sexism. So there's hostile and benevolent sexism. And I was thinking maybe we're kind of past hostile sexism. And then I hear this joke and some other things that, uh, you know, we're not past that yet. We still need to work on that. And and train people that we, and we're such a great society here in Utah, a Christian, you know, a lot of Christian folks here that, you know, treating people with respect and providing good, enriching environments is what we should do best. Mm. So we need to figure out how to make some progress even more here in Utah. How do I just jump in and make y- yes. comment about the bystander effect? Mm-hmm. Um, you were mentioning that it can be so powerful when it's a male ally doing it. And one thing that we know from the research is that uh, sexual harassment is really about power. All kinds of harassment is about power imbalances. And in our workplaces, the people who have the most power actually are able to make the biggest difference in terms of being a bystander. And so in those cases, if a man, if you've got a circle, you know, of people talking and it's clear that someone's about to do something inappropriate, it's actually more effective for a man in that circle or somebody else who has relatively higher power to stand in and stand up and say, you know, that's not okay. It diminishes their power much less. A woman takes a higher risk when she stands up for somebody else. She'll take a social hit where a man won't. And then there are other hierarchies as well. White women have more power than women of color. And so we can each look at our own selves and say, where do I have this level of privilege? Where do I have relative power that I can stand up as a bystander and make a difference? And in many cases, we will take, you know, we won't suffer negative consequences from that the way somebody else might. And so that's something that all of us can understand and seek to make really proactive changes in our own behavior when we're in our own workplace settings. And some of the research on, on bystander also says it's, it's like anything else. When you 
do it once when you find your voice and, and help protect or support one person. You actually find your voice and are able to do it more and more. So you get comfortable, you get confidence in yourself. Um, that first time you speak out or do something, you know, is, is pretty hard for most people. Not everybody, but it's pretty hard for most people when you've been socialized um, often to just stay out of the way. Mm. Uh, we're overdue for a break. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about sexual harassment in Utah. When we come back, I want to uh, see where Utah fits. Uh, in terms of sexual harassment. We'll talk about sexual assault as well, domestic violence. Um, I was interested in a, uh, a snapshot on body image. And mm-hmm. Utah, at least at one point, was hot, tops at Salt Lake City, was tops in the nation for uh, for cosmetic surgery. I don't know where we where we stand uh, t- today, but uh, I don't know. It's cultural issues there. We'll get into that as, as we go along as well. Much to talk about. We're talking with Susan Madsen, who's founder and director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project at Utah Valley University. Robin Scribner is assistant director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. This is a part of our series, Stopping Sexual Harassment, uh, made possible by the Utah Women's Giving Circle. We'll have more following this. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Devour Utah, a monthly magazine devoted to covering Utah's dining and drink scene with the spotlight on cooking, local happenings, and libations. Available at newsstands or online at devourutah.com. With senators sworn in and the rules voted upon, the third presidential impeachment trial in U.S. history has officially begun. The eyes are on the Senate. The country is watching to see if we can rise to the occasion. Now each side will begin presenting their opening arguments. Join us for live special coverage of the second day of the Senate impeachment trial from NPR News. Beginning this morning at 11 here on Utah Public Radio. Make an appointment with Public Radio's favorite family doc on the next Zorba Pastor on Your Health. It'll be a jam-packed hour on healthy living, including this recipe for... Winter pasta salad. We always have a great time. So will you on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX. Tune in to Utah Public Radio Sunday at noon for Zorba Pastor on Your Health. This episode of Access Utah is made possible with support from the Utah Women's Giving Circle, a grassroots community with everyday philanthropists raising the questions and raising the funds to empower Utah women and girls. Information available at utahwomensgivingcircle.com. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah today. We are talking with Susan Madsen, founder and director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project, and Orrin R. Woodbury, Professor of Leadership and Ethics in the Woodbury School of Business, Utah Valley University. Robin Scribner is Assistant Director at the Utah Women in Leadership Project at Utah Valley University. We're talking about sexual harassment right now. We'll get into some other topics as we move along in this hour. You're welcome to join this conversation if you'd like. Uh, email is best right now, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. It will get you uh, to us. Um, so I wanted to ask about uh, how Utah compares when we talk about sexual harassment. Uh, does it pretty much fit in with the rest of the nation, or are we an outlier? We are um, actually on par in some—well, I hate to use that word. <laughs> um, we're We're— even with some things, which is not great, but we're kind of in the middle in terms of the national average in certain things, but uh, our research really found that we have 
greater percentages of claims and suits really in terms of not just sexual harassment, but gender-based harassment as well. So I think that's gender discrimination, I guess, is what it would be. Um, So that's interesting. And that includes things like the wage gap, you know, uh, not being paid equally. So sexual harassment and gender discrimination are a bit different. Mm. And uh, who is at most risk, generally, of sexual harassment? Oh, that's a great question. There, sexual harassment can happen to anyone, anytime, at any level, highly paid employees, lowly paid employees. But um, one of the things that we found was interesting in the research was that there were two kind of areas where women were at particular risk. One was in an area where women were in a very low minority, so very uh, few women in a company. We know that we have a lot of companies here in Utah where we have you know, low percentages of women. Tech is an industry that is growing like gangbusters here in the state where women are traditionally underrepresented and mining, construction, other places like that. Sexual harassment is shown to be quite pervasive in those settings. But the other setting is where women are in a high majority, where there are many, many women, but very few women in management. Some of the industries like retail and hospitality, where women are supposed to be of service and where the money that they make, the, the restaurant industry is famous for sexual harassment because women's salary, their tips, can literally be contingent upon whether or not they make a stink about whether somebody hits their butt as they're walking by, you know, with a, a plate of drinks or something like that. And so those two areas where there are very few women or where there are lots of women, but they're in service industries and men are in the management those are some areas where the incidence of sexual harassment have been shown to be the highest. Mm. Um, uh, this stood out to me that really surprised me, um, talking about taking this to the courts. Three to six percent of sexual harassment cases go to trial, two percent win at trial. And uh, approximately 85 to 95 percent of women who experience sexual harassment do not file a formal complaint. Um, so th- this would seem to be... Uh, uh, what's your suggestion? I guess if you have a case, do take it to court, but it doesn't seem very promising. This seems to be more of a cultural fix than a legal one. Yeah, and, and our research also said that about 70% do not even report instances within their own organizations. And so I think some of it, you know, might go back to the sexual harassment, but even some of the or, or the uh, definition of sexual harassment. But even, you know, I think people struggle specifically with sexual harassment in terms of knowing, is it bad enough? You know, do I want to start down this path? Will people take me seriously? Um, having watched somebody else uh, reported and not having it taken seriously, um, not trust, you know, lack of trust in organization or human resources. There's many reasons for that. Um, and just you know, knowing that throughout history, maybe people haven't made complaints, so they should just, quote, suck it up or something. Mm-hmm. So there's... Um, can I add, one, that's a, can I add oh. one more thing here? Another thing that they find in the research is that up to 75% of people who do file sexual harassment claims within their own workplaces experience some sort of retaliation. Yes. Now, that's illegal. You can't punish someone or give them a worse job or give them a worse shift because they've complained about sexual harassment. But it's happening in three out of the four cases. And so that's a very compelling reason for people to just stay quiet. Well, maybe I can just survive it. Maybe I'll go look for a new job. 
And so, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why women are hesitant to come forward. And that's something that we really have to address because things can only change and shift as they come out of the darkness. Mm. Do you think, Tom, back yeah. to, Tom, back to the, the, the comment you made earlier, I, I just found kind of the statistics that, that maybe some of the listeners would appreciate, but, um, but about 30 of, of the EEOC file, you know, filed complaints in Utah, almost 40% of those are sex-based um, complaints, when in the, st- in the whole United States, they are about 30%. So that's an interesting dynamic. Hmm. Do, you, do you have a theory on why? Um, Robin, what do you think? I'll throw it over to you. Well, it's part of a whole bigger picture in terms of what's been our traditional culture here in the state of Utah with men's and women's roles, men being in the public sphere and women being more in the private sphere. And so part of this is that women, we we lag the nation always in terms of women in management, women getting their education, women in political office. And so in the public sphere, which sexual harassment is a public issue, when we get into sexual sexual assault and things like that, those can all be private issues. But sexual harassment, we're really talking about what happens in our public spaces. And women have been disadvantaged in the state traditionally. This is changing slowly, but women have just had less power and influence. So it's going to uh, stand to reason that there are going to be more discrimination against women here in the state of Utah in our public settings across all these gender issues, not just harassment itself, but as Susan mentioned, the wage gap being uh, passed over for promotions, being seen as saying, oh, we're not going to send her on that trip because we know she has kids. And so you're missing out on opportunities for professional development and growth. So it's pretty widespread. And that's a deeper part of our, our culture that is slowly shifting, but it is moving slowly. But that, that power dynamic that uh, Robin talked about is so critical. Any, when you look at national research or global research, any state or country that just has those power dynamics where men have more power than women, you see all, all kinds of issues. In fact, just recently I read a study on the wage gap, and it wasn't about the Utah culture. It wasn't about the Latter-day Saint religion, but it looked at more religious societies in general and compared religious societies or countries. They do two different studies, one on comparing the states in the United States and one countries, and they looked at the Pew research that, you know, which countries are most religious, which states are more religious. And what they found, actually, is the more religious um, communities and states and countries actually absolutely had less women in power. Um, They also had higher reproductive rates. Which meant, which were linked, was linked to less women in power. And interestingly, and sadly, across the world, more religious societies actually had um, higher sexual objectification, which is measured by pornography rates. And that leads kind of into the cosmetic surgery snapshot you mentioned as well. So there's some interesting dynamics with that, that if you're unconscious about what things, and if you're raised in certain cultures, you just continue to do things as you've always done, when in reality, you know, we can't keep moving forward with with certain groups of people and genders being disadvantaged continually. I don't think, 
in general, you know, nobody wants that to continue in the in the future. Well, maybe nobody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yes, that's we hope. We hope so, right? Uh, yeah, we hope so. Yeah. Uh, so we had uh, a caller. By the way, um, I was emphasizing email because we had a little problem with our with our phones, but that's been rectified. And Jennifer and Vernal called. She didn't want to uh, go on the air, but uh, here's her comment. She says, um, Jennifer says, I've been the victim of rape, sexual harassment, underpaid, everything. But I was devastated at the way our elected officials uh, from the state of Utah behaved during the Kavanaugh hearings. It was a huge trigger. I went into this massive depression, she says. But the way our supposed LDS, we respect our mothers, that was total BS, she says. Orrin Hatch was terrible, all caps. Um, and it's just generally she was very disappointed in our senators during the Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, so I wonder what you uh, what you think of this, this cultural moment. Kavanaugh was a, was kind of a touchstone. Well, I'll just, I, I'll just make a comment. <laughs> Maybe Robin has some more. But one thing that I've realized, particularly with our political leaders in this state, we have some great political leaders, but generally across the, lo- the board, there is very little consciousness or attention given to issues of gender, race, and so forth. We have a lot of white men. And many of them are, are great. I, I really respect some of them. There's only a few. Just, I don't even know, you know, if fingers on one hand can count them, that really have engaged in saying, I want to learn more about gender. I want to learn more about these issues. So uh, when you stay in this unconscious bias stage and not bring unconscious to conscious, and that takes effort on learning, particularly for men and white people and, and different things. If you stay in that space and not push yourself to learn and grow, you're going to react in ways that, that are not best for society, that are not, that are not respectful for all people in society. And I, I think we have a ways to go to get more people who serve, especially in the state legislature, but other governmental roles, and I'm sure at the city council and, and you know, um, commissioner, county commissioner level as well. So I think that's an opportunity for some real growth that people will pay attention and say, hey, I really want to, to treat people with respect. That means I need to learn and grow myself. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Robin Scribner, do you have uh, any comment on Jennifer's comments? I do. First of all, I just want to say, that was that was a heartbreaking comment to hear, and and just as Susan had mentioned earlier, for people who have had personal experiences with trauma, even seeing things in the public public eye that really don't have much to do with her in person, can can bring all that back to you and can be extremely painful and, and even debilitating in many cases. So I I felt a lot of empathy for her as I listened to that uh, comment, and and really feel for her and appreciate her reaching out and talking about this. Um, politics are so tough. Our nation is so polarized right now. And there is so much pressure on our elected officials to fall in line with their party, right? And whatever their party is saying, even if they have their own personal convictions, oh, this isn't the right thing to do, uh, they, they're receiving so much pressure. It's not an excuse. I think that, uh, that the best politicians will stand up for what's right and will stand up for what they believe. Um, but in terms of the Kavanaugh hearings and talking about why women don't report, 
Christine Ford came out, you know, came forward with something that happened many years ago, sharing her experiences, her memories. But the backlash that she has received, I was just reading an article yesterday, she's had to move four times in the last year. Mm -hmm. She gets death threats every single day because of coming forward and sharing this. So when people talk about false accusations, women are just out for attention, looking for power, looking for some sort of leverage that they can get, the backlash against women who come out and, and report things publicly is really severe. And so this is one of the tricky situations, and it makes it harder for more women. So if we can work together as a culture and society, have more of these conversations, and, and be more civil as we do this, it creates an environment where women feel safe to actually report what has happened to them. Because these types of experiences, like the Kavanaugh hearings, it, it makes you know a woman think, well, why would I ever share my story, look what happened to her. So that's really, really tough. And can I just say, we mentioned this in our snapshot as as well, that even though there may be, you know, women from time to time making false accusations, the research is clear that that is very rare. That is very rare. So women who say um, that they were raped, um, that things are happening, there's... um, sexual harassment, those things, it's so rare for women to step forward and, and lie about that. Most of the majority, almost all cases that um, are women that claim those, I mean, it's truth. And so when we, and actually I had another a discussion a year ago in one of my classes with mostly men um, who said, oh, they're probably making it up. I was amazed at how a number of young men in that class just assumed they were lying. And I'm like, that, that is really sad to me because the research is clear that that is so rare. Mm. Uh, and that's why I think that's why the Kavanaugh hearings are such a touchstone. <laughs> here, here it is, and it, these things happen in communities across the nation every day. And then here it was writ large. And... Um, you know, a woman comes forward, she's not believed, uh, you know, somebody's not telling the truth there, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and, and the effects on both of the individuals as well. Um, Jennifer, thanks so much for, for sharing. I, I'm, I'm so sorry for what you've gone through, but thanks for, for sharing. I think it, uh, it helps uh, probably other, other people. Um, so there's a section here in the snapshot um, before we go to another break titled, What Utahns Can Do About Sexual Harassment. What can we do? Oh, there's actually many things that we can do. Um, for, at the individual level, um, just keeping records of harassment, you know, even if you journal it or whatever, but to, don't just keep, if there's patterns, you've got to do something. So, so keep records of that and, and consider contacting the EEOC to get help or file a charge. Sometimes, If you feel safe within your own companies, do that. Um, and then for companies in general, uh, we talked about that bystander training. Um, that can be very powerful, providing bystander tra- training to empower all individuals to really keep that workplace safe. And then just figuring out as a company and an organization, creating multiple channels for reporting. There's so many things that actually individuals, employers, and I will just throw it out there. There's more that our state legislature or state policymakers can do as well. 
Uh, let's go to break. Uh, we're talking about sexual harassment uh, in Utah. We'll get into the next, uh, expanding these to sexual assault and get into body image and some other. I want to talk about voting as well. Um, but be, before we go to break, I just want to put in a plug here. There's a, a women's advocacy seminar uh, sponsored by Utah Women in Leadership Project uh, tomorrow, right? Yes, and and we're partnering with Action Utah. They've actually taken the lead, and we're supporting. And and so there's one. They've done a number of those. They've done one in, in Salt Lake. But this one's right at uh, the UVU campus of in Lehigh at Thanksgiving Point area. And, and there's still some space for people. And just it's just one hour, light lunch, <laughs> free. Um, come and hear from some legislators and have, be in some discussions about uh, women's, you know, Possible, possible uh, policies and and laws that can be moving moving forward on the front to help strengthen the impact of Utah girls and women. A lot else coming up. You can find this at uh, uvu.edu/uwlp and events. Uh, there's an event called She Talks Utah that's on January 30th, Unconscious Bias Workshop, a Utah Therapist, What Can I Do, Interfaith Council, so a lot, uh, a lot coming up. Uh, more here following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU Office of Global Engagement, providing global learning opportunities at the Study Abroad Fair, Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. in the Taggart Student Center. Details at studyabroad.usu.edu. This is Kate Salinas with your community events. Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Shai Vassarelli, directors of Free Solo, will discuss their dedication to their individual life paths and their collaborative success in film and photography. This event will be held at Kingsbury Hall in Salt Lake City on January 23rd from 12.15 to 1.30 p.m. 500 women scientists meet once a month to network and discuss outreach opportunities and support other female scientists in the area. All are welcome, including scientists, students, teachers, and those from industry, healthcare, and higher education. Anyone who identifies as a female scientist. Their January meeting will be held on the 23rd at 6 p.m. in Logan at 243 East 300 South. For more information on these events and others, visit our community calendar page at upr.org. This episode of Access Utah is made possible with support from the Utah Women's Giving Circle, a grassroots community with everyday philanthropists raising the questions and raising the funds to empower Utah women and girls. Information available at utahwomensgivingcircle.com. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah today. We're talking about sexual harassment, sexual assault. We're talking with uh, Susan Madsen, founder and director of Utah Women in Leadership Project at Utah Valley University, and Robin Scribner, who's assistant director of Utah Women in Leadership Project. You can join this conversation a couple of ways. You can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, or you can call us. 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. I want to move briefly to uh, sexual assault, um, and you've done some research on, on this as well. Uh, and I, I think this, I don't know, just kind of moves to the background a lot of time, and maybe because it's, it's, it's painful. Uh, according to this paper, one in three Utah women have been sexually assaulted, one in six report having been raped which is just shocking and I, I don't know if it I don't know if it shocks us as much as it should 
Yeah, I I really, to me, it, it's one of the most disturbing things. Um, that it, And in fact, I've gotten to the point in the last probably six months, it's like we, uh, I've lost patience with, with just even the, the lack of addressing it in our state legislature and different things. It's just wrong on all levels. And it's so interesting to look at, it's sad, but interesting to look at actually how many, I don't have the stats right in front of me, I don't know if Robin does, um, but how many of these assaults actually in the state of Utah are uh, on girls uh, and young women that are um, younger than 18? That's uh, quite disturbing to me. Yeah, that's even more disturbing. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I've got this stat here in front yeah. of you, Susan. It's a, in Utah, nearly 13% of the population reports being molested before the age of 18. And... Uh, Three-fourths of the sexual assault victims in the state are experiencing that before their 18th birthday. So a lot of women who are sexually assaulted, it's happening when they're children. Mm. What's, the, what's the roadmap to what would you like to see done uh, in, in, a, in a perfect world to reduce or eliminate well, I, I think we, uh, one, one of our partners is the Unique Foundation, and they're located right in, in Lehigh, you know, kind of at the Thanksgiving Point area as well. And I'll tell you, I love their model. Um, they, they work on, and maybe I'll let Robin address the other piece, but they really have come forward to put together a program that is quite powerful. They actually, uh, women can you know, if they're in Utah but, or they fly themselves in, but everything else is free and provided through their services. And they take groups of women, you know, uh, three of the weeks, I believe, every month, one week at a time. They take a group of women through a full week of, of learning how to, with therapists out, out kind of in the mountains. And it's really what they're doing is working with women who had been sexually raped, sexually assaulted as children and teenagers. And so these are women that are older now, but, but people that think you get over those things, it's not true. They stay with you forever. And so these are women that are older and they bring them, you know, for one week on site. Uh, to work with therapists and really work through those so that they can actually move forward in their life and thrive. You know, you can do fine sometimes uh, with some folks. Some some really don't function well after those situations in life, but they don't thrive. Most of them just do not thrive. So I'm really impressed with their efforts. And the other part of their initiative there at the Unique Foundation is education for parents to help them know how to keep their kids safe, which is a really important part of the conversation. There's so much that families can do to understand, you know, how they can monitor their kids, how they can help them understand how to use the Internet and things like that. But one other thing that I'd love to address in terms of what we would like to see is uh, more conversations and better education here. We've talked about body image. We've talked about sexual harassment. And so many of these issues come down to the core um, idea of the sexual objectification of women and seeing women first as sexual objects, second as human beings. One of the things that we can do is work on educating our boys from early ages to respect the girls in their lives and to model appropriate respectful behavior of how men and women should treat each other as individuals and people. My daughter was sharing an experience she had in her psychology class the other day 
that they gave a couple scenarios about a woman who'd been sexually assaulted. And one group of kids was taught that she was um, having a meeting for work, and the other one uh, was taught that she was coming from having an affair. And um, they asked who was responsible for the sexual assault. And the group that had been read the scenario where the woman was coming from doing something that was wrong, they said that she was responsible for her own sexual assault. Instead of recognizing the assailant, the rapist, was the one who was responsible. So we've got some, you know, perceptions here that are wrong. And this type of education needs to happen from the early days that um, the accountability for this needs to fall on all of us recognizing how to treat each other with respect and as individuals, not as sexual objects. And, Tom, one thing that you would find interesting, I think, is is some of the research says that that when states have more, let's just talk about the state legislature, when there are more women in the state legislature, they actually, the states put more funding toward things like education or health care, but also social programs like poverty and, and, and those things, in addition to efforts and help for more education and awareness and um, survivor assistance for things like sexual assault. And so in Utah, of course, we don't have as many. We're, we're slightly improving, but we don't have as many women in those top positions, particularly in the political area and government and the research says when you have more women in those positions, things change at a state level. And the sexual assault is not, is not in the conversations enough in our state legislature. In other things, we've got to do something, and we've got to take a stand here in Utah. So I believe there's just more state policies and, and like Robin said, awareness. Robin, that that. It's so interesting what you just said about your daughter. That um, yeah, breaks my heart in a lot of ways. I would not believe what these other students said. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, we just have a couple minutes left. We'll have to be quick with this, but uh, this jumped out at me. <clears throat> uh, according to a study by Utah Women in Leadership Project, uh, Utah came in dead last for women's voter turnout in 2006. By 2018, we jumped to 11th in, in the country. There's still almost 300,000 women in Utah who are eligible to vote but not registered. That's at least uh, this was paper was a couple years ago, I think. Well, one, one of the interesting things, and Robin did the research on this, is that we were actually, I'm trying to remember, I think it was 1992, we were actually first in the nation uh, in terms of women voting. So if you look at our history, and, and we're partners with Better Days 2020 who are doing so much this year to look at you know, do the anniversaries and celebration of women's voting. If you look at the history of women, you know, back to the the pioneers coming in, we've had so much, much in terms of Utah women being engaged in the community and and um, really taking a stand with in the suffrage movement. So we were actually, yeah, I just found the statistics. 1992, we were first in the nation, and then 2006. Between that, to, you know, 1992 and 2006, we went all the way down. And actually, we were still quite low, um, I believe, even till about three or four years ago. Is that right, right, Robin? Yeah, and then even until turned? 2012. Even until 2012, we were quite low. 2016, we jumped up a little bit. And then 2018, a huge jump up to 11th in the nation. So we're really encouraged by this. We're because, because you know, the again, like I said earlier in the program, 
you know, that getting out and voting and, and using your voice in that way, we know leads to other kinds of things, women being engaged in, in important issues and efforts that really need to happen in Utah to really lift women and lift families and lift communities. Well, we'll, we'll leave it there. Out of time, much more to talk about. You can read a lot more at the, the website. Uh, just uh, Google Utah Women Leadership Project, uh, Utah Valley University. Uh, we're talking about sexual harassment, sexual assault, uh, voting, many other topics here today. Uh, Susan Madsen has been with us, founder and director of Utah Women's Leadership Project, and Oren R. Woodbury, professor of leadership and ethics in the Woodbury School of Business at Utah Valley University. Thanks so much. Thank you. And Robin Scribner is assistant director, Utah Women in Leadership Project at Utah Valley University. Uh, thank you to you. Great talking to you, Tom. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening uh, today to Access Utah. Hey, Tanya, did you know that the word sobremesa is a Spanish term that means to linger at the table for conversation long after a meal is done? A handy word to add to your vocabulary. Especially if you've been listening to our segment, Bread and Butter. We'll give you plenty to talk about at your own table with local stories about food, culture, recipes, and culinary news. Tune in to hear Bread and Butter each Sunday just before the Splendid Table. Sundays at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Hi, I'm Steve Williams, host of Jazz Time here on Utah Public Radio. I hope you'll join me Sunday evenings for a journey through the world of jazz music from ragtime to bop. From Havana to Logan, Utah, tune in for a bit of history, commentary, the occasional interview, and of course, all that jazz. Jazz time, Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, and also heard at upr.org.